Hey guys, welcome to Born to Rain. We got a different episode for you today. Jeremiah is actually out on vacation uh, and he's been studying for the CPA exam. So we're going to give you an episode, a bonus episode from a few weeks ago that we recorded. Uh, and when we're recording episodes, most of the time there's a conversation that usually happens before or after uh, the episode, just about various topics, just kind of a spontaneous discussion. And so this was one of those discussions that we decided to record, uh, hit, hit it and, and record a little bit like a hot mic session. So this was a, a very encouraging conversation that we would like to share with you. So uh, enjoy this. This is a conversation with our producer, JN Wheels, uh, and we're talking about building as the best critique. The masculine thing to do in this culture by the right and by the left. Um, I can't say in this modern culture that I am right or left. I just, theonomist, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, but um, basically like the gist of it was building something is the biggest critique and it is the biggest shot you can throw at the other side uh, as opposed to just strictly critiquing um, yeah, that's that's the topic of the conversation. Uh, we've just been talking about that. And I, and I guess I'm thinking, you know, why why even go there? Like, why are we why why are we even going there? Maybe give the listeners some kind of context of. I don't know. What do you think we need to give them some context on? Like, why are we thinking along these lines? Why did you send me those episodes? What do we have in common? Mm. And uh, well, personally, it'd be helpful, I think. For me, and I know for you, like the natural disposition is to just critique. And I can't say I, I get the feeling you, you're just not that way. Uh, but, well, okay, anyways, uh, natural disposition for Tim, us is... Tim is more charitable <laughs> to his fellow man. It, it's just to critique. Uh, for example, uh, it's your, your blog post on beer uh, a few years ago. Um, I, I, I've been I, I've been wanting to talk about this for a long time. So okay, it, it was pretty big when it came out, or at least it made some waves in the local circles. And then I shared it as a guest post on my blog a few months ago, and it got like thirty shares. Wow! And that's um, tons of views. I don't know if that's I asked practically you viral. Yeah, I mean that's pretty good in the in the little world that we're in that's, <laughs> that's like and i was like that spreads <laughs> like wildfire i was yeah. like i probably got more views on, on my website than on yours you probably did <laughs> and um but for example that that blog post is a good example of a critique not saying that it's bad not saying that it's good but we were both talking about how when all you do is critique your circle of friends starts to shrink your influence starts to shrink uh so many things about your life start to dissipate when all you do is critique and um in the in the context of of that blog or whatever i wrote um it's so funny because okay you mentioned you mentioned it was about alcohol yeah and i wrote that because you know there's there was people within my community and pastors that i know that were really coming down on people for that specific liberty. Yeah. And, and that happens a lot. <clears throat> I'm in the church, but in that article, I started that thing out saying, this is not about alcohol. 
mm-hmm. but just to grab the attention of the audience, probably that I, that I intended that for, I put, you know, a picture of beer, yep. put a picture of donuts <laughs> and I put a picture of, I don't know what it was. I, I could go back in time and I, if I did it over, I'd put I probably put a picture of video games, Netflix and a f- banquet of food, you know, um, my expression there was um, to defend the Christian's right for all liberty. But it's so interesting how in, in the Christian community, so often when you express the need to defend the Christian's liberty, it's automatically assumed that you're only um, defending the Christian liberty, the controversial Christian liberties like alcohol mm-hmm. or I don't know. I don't know what. There could be nowadays. Now it could be CBD. It could be, I don't know. So would you, <laughs> you know? Would, you, would you agree we don't have a liberty problem? We have a self-control problem. And an antinomianism problem. And a misconstrued understanding of legalism. Sorry, go ahead. No, exactly. Exactly. I'll take your last point there. Yeah. Like, like that, that, that was the thing that I was, yeah, we have a legalism um, problem. But in that problem, we are not, as Christians, we're not worshiping as we ought to. If we're giving ourselves over to legalism rather than to the liberty that Christ died to give us, we're entrapping ourselves. We're, yeah. we're falling prey to something that we were never meant to be a victim of. And, and that's, to me, that thought is so tragic that, that's why I, I wrote that. That's why I speak yeah. out on that. That's why I defend Christians' right to liberty. But right. that doesn't mean that I'm, I'm telling Christians to be fools or to be unwise. Because yeah. um, we also have, we need to teach both. We need to teach Christians to make decisions for themselves in a way that glorifies and honors the Lord, but also um, to exercise um, wisdom and self-control. So that addresses both, you know, the self-control um, topic of, you know, we need to exercise all of those things. And that's what makes a mature Christian man or a mature Christian woman. And if a person doesn't have the maturity to, to, to kind of come to those type of conclusions on, on things of liberty, then they're probably not mature enough to partake in certain liberties. And therefore maybe they should abstain until um, they've got the maturity to, to make some of those decisions in a way that glorifies God. So that's kind of the background yeah. <laughs> to, to where we're going about um, the, the, the Paul Maxwell kind of, kind of topic. But nonetheless, right? it, <clears throat> Not that critique is bad because I would recommend people read that that blog post because it was good and I benefited from it. Uh, but the point is that if all you're doing is being negative and defining yourself in a negative characteristic, um, you have no essence. If all you are is the absence of light, then you have no light. If all you are is the flipping of a table, you have no table. You know what I'm saying? So um, you need to be building something. Uh, You can't just sit and and scream about um, like whatever issue it is uh, and not have anything to show for it. Um, Well, that's what I said earlier was uh, if you're always just out there pointing out problems, this is a problem, this is a problem, this is a problem. and then never offering any sort of solution, 
what, yeah. you're, what you're doing is complaining and scripture explicitly commands us do everything without grumbling or complaining. Right. And, and if you're not offering anything constructive, then you are by definition complaining right. because, because you're not offering anything but a, a loud noise. Right. Uh, yeah. Where, where's the fruit? Where's the charity? Where's the grace? And that's, there that's, is times to yeah. use those polemics. Like when, uh, I forget which prophet, maybe Isaiah, and he's like telling Israel, you whore, you spread your legs to every passerby. Like, what's the matter with you? And that's strong language. That's, that's cur- That's the language I would feel uncomfortable using around a lady. Uh, and that's critical. It's negative. And there's a time and a place for it. But I think it, that can't be defining of you personally, of your ministry, uh, you need to be building something, and it just so happens that building something is the biggest critique. People can uh, yell all they want, but when it comes down to it, uh, in your Facebook circle, what is the thing that pisses the most people off? It is not the atheist who writes why Christianity is stupid. That doesn't get shared in our circles. Nobody reads them in our circles. Nobody cares. What gets shared in our circles is uh, drag, drag queen story hour because the pagans are making progress. They're building something. They're, they're infiltrating the public spaces. That's what gets shared. That's what makes us mad. And that's what we need to be doing because it levies the biggest critique. And the, fe- the fear there is, is let's tear this thing down before it gets headway, gets ingrained yeah. into our circle. Let's just like prevent it at all costs, damage control, um, rather than going, yeah, like you're saying, what am I building? What am I contributing mm-hmm. um, to the body of Christ? Because some of those things aren't like, when you're looking at it and going, there's a time and place to critique, there's a time and place to um, talk about something controversial, but we have to look at it and go, well, are those the defining character qualities of my God Yeah, who dwells in me and who I represent? How am I representing him um, in a way? And I think maybe before we talk about building something, um, I don't know what lessons you have, but we were talking about this a little bit. Um, as a younger man, I, I found it so easy to to critique and to voice my opinion on anything and everything as if my voice mattered Mm -hmm. (laughs) and as if it was going to make a world of difference. And a lot of times all it did was cause the waves. And, um, in looking back, I go, sometimes those did produce productive dialogues. But there are ways in which now I'm going as a hopefully a wiser person going, I could probably strike up that conversation again in a more productive way, inviting others to dialogue with me rather than just trying to cut the throat and get to the point. (laughs) And, um, you know, I think there are other ways. And I think it's for me, it's, it's a learning process. And I don't think you maybe you you need to clarify, Jeremiah, what you mean by uh, um, building something, right? So that our audience knows kind of the frame of reference there. Like, what do we mean by building something? But um, I think I think now I think along those lines of going, um, I want to build something, and how do I build into other people's lives in a way that causes mutual good 
rather than um, only the puffing up of my own ego, <laughs> maybe. Right, right. Well, I mean, I am speaking in abstract concepts and cultural, uh, just big cultural picture. What I mean about an example of what I mean by building is, for example, you could, um, you could sit at your computer and write blogs all day critiquing uh, local pastors, uh, wolves in sheep's clothing, who you, who you know are out there, and you could just be pulpit and penning it. You know pulpit yeah. and pen? Uh, Somewhat. Just, uh, Enough to not be It's a like fan. a discernment. <laughs> it's just discernment blog. It's just horrible. It feels gross coming out of my mouth. Yeah. And some of the stuff you may say, you say may be right. Yeah, yeah totally. Um, but you also have the option to build a podcasting studio to raise uh, beautiful, godly daughters uh, to um, disciple your wife, to uh, build a community around you through your family and church and friends that is going to uh, bring people together in such a way that it will bear fruit. And all that time spent building something is going to leverage a larger attack on the other side than all the discernment blogs you would have written in the past five years. Not yeah. saying that there's not a time to write those, but me personally, I'm inclined when I hear something on the radio. The other day, I turned on the radio and I heard Dr. David Jeremiah teaching on Daniel. I'm post-millennial. That was a big problem for me. I was tempted to get on my blog and just tear it up, right? Or I could grab a few people who I know take my voice seriously and say, hey, uh, look at this. Uh, Daniel reconciles the revelation in this way, the reconciles in this way, and here's how you apply it to your life, and here's how it helps you get closer to Jesus, and that's building something. And um, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm clarifying too much what I mean, but... Well, I think w when, when you spend too much time pointing to, like, w w the word that you've used is critique, um, what, what you have to recognize is, if you take a, a sports analogy, the the other team is running a play on us and we have to play defense. There, there is a time to play defense, but we also need to go on offense sometimes. Yeah. Like, and we need to have plays of our own that we run and we have a playbook. We have, we have marching orders. We have a, uh, we have a war manual. It's called the Bible and right. more specifically the book of Ephesians. Uh, but when, when you march into those battles, uh, we have to not run around like, reacting to stuff you know right. when you watch yeah. a football game you have to know that the defense that's on the field doesn't just go out there and go man are they going to run or are they going to pass are they going to uh, are they going to run this route or that route like those guys are in the film room throughout the entire week saying okay this tendency when they have these people on the field they're going to run this play and and they know and they go out not just reacting but there is an offensive element to playing defense. And what we end up doing too much is going, okay, the drag queen is in the library. <laughs> how did this happen? Like, yeah. what, what, what are we supposed to do? Uh, I, I don't know how to, I don't know how to do this. I, uh, the, the film room didn't teach me this, this play. I don't, I don't right. know. <laughs> I don't know how to respond to it. Right. But when we come into it and say, this is a, this is a battle of not just a drag queen sitting in a, a library. We're looking at there's, there's principalities and powers. Um, at play here there, there's a bigger play that's being run and what we have to first deal with is say no that's not correct 
yeah. but then offer a, a solution. Say, the gospel says this. The, the, the word of God clearly defines man is man, woman is woman, uh, and you can't dress up in drag and go into a, a library and, and change that and indoctrinate little kids. Um, because what ends up happening there is their, their whole play then is destruction. The, the word that you've used is um, building something, but what they're building is just pure destruction. It, it, it can't stand. It's not going to last. Yeah, you're kind of you're just level, leveling everything out. And I think about this because we, I think about this often. I think, I think my dad ingrained this in my mind that it's more important to leave a legacy of character um, around you when you're gone. Like how are you, how will you be remembered rather than um, how much many things you amassed or how many people you put down or how many arguments you won? You know, it's, it's <laughs> kind of, there, there's something else to contribute to your brothers and sisters, to the church, to the world. Um, and that's worth more than an argument that was argued better than, right, right. <laughs> than, than so-and-so. Um, and another uh, uh, like illustration that Paul uses is warfare. And if you think about warfare, you're not ever going to win a battle. You're not ever going to win a war if you don't have a home base, if you don't have an outpost. You need that central location from which you will launch your battles. And without that, you're scrambled, you're scattered, you're lost, and you're not going to win. And that, that construction, that base, is what you launch your battles from. And that construction is uh, biblically what you want to be building first and foremost is uh, your family, um, your church, your community. Uh, and then from, that, from there, you want to send out little squads to launch your attack. So, so I think what I'm trying to say, and I think what even Paul Maxwell would agree with is your bat, your, your offensive attacks are very small in comparison to your home base. Your home base might be 24 soldiers. Your attacks are going to be two or three. And as opposed to just sending them all out, you know, you don't have a base and you're just going buck wild on the whole operation. Uh, that's not what you want. But I, I wanted to bring up uh, <laughs> uh, being a young man and just like just spewing all your stuff. I I wish I didn't have a Facebook till I was like twenty. <laughs> <laughs> that should be that should be a rule. That should be like a requirement. Well, remember when Facebook? Yes, you have to get a license. Remember when Facebook first came out? It was purely for college students. Like you had to be able to. Oh yeah. You had to prove that you were a college student <laughs> to be able to get on Facebook, and then all of a sudden it like blew up and. They lowered the age to 13, and I think the, really, I think gosh. I think when you eight, lowered the age to 13, um, the overall maturity level of everybody on Facebook dropped to 13. Yeah, and like yeah, becomes yeah. this like massive mob it is mentality. Still there. Yeah, it's still yeah. there. It's going down. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but like uh, six-year-olds now, it's, it's like <laughs> that wasn't very nice. He yeah. took my toys. <laughs> like Call of Duty as well. I don't even have an X or a gaming console, but I hear the stories. Uh, <laughs> but what I mean by that is like, I'm still young. I'm still young, but I don't know. I, I guess because, like you said, some of the some of the 
fights that I caused, some of the bar brawls that I caused, uh, did have some fruitful consequences. Uh, there was, there's many times where I've caused a fight and somebody's, uh, told me like, um, came to me later and been like, yo, like I was feeling what you were saying. And can you talk to me more about that? And that's happened quite a few times. Uh, but I think definitely being young, uh, I, I think, I don't know when it wears off. Uh, maybe when you're like 45, maybe 50, <laughs> maybe that's when it wears off. Sometimes never, <laughs> but like, you're technically a young man till you're like 40, I think. Yeah. Uh, being young, you just have that. And it's, it's ingrained in you by God. Cause you're meant to be a warrior and you're given weapons. You're given the sword of truth. You're given the breastplate of righteousness. You're given arrows and a bow, which is your wife and your children. Uh, you're given weapons and stuff to expend that energy on. However, you're just going to be tempted to swing that hammer at everything that even glistens like it's a nail. Right. And yeah, I, th- I think we all, uh, this is, this is going to be something really interesting for how older men counsel younger men, like going forward right. due, due to social media. Right. Because we, we tried to separate this thing called social media from our real lives um, in its early stages, like almost like older people kind of ignored it. And, and the younger people that was like a separate part of their life or their personality than what they portrayed to their, you know, here, like in person at church kind of thing. Right. But, but now it's, it's almost like it's one in the same, like we're starting to accept like, this online thing as one in the same, like this is just how we interact as people. This is an extension of our personalities yeah. or maybe the truest form of our personality coming forth. And that's kind of a, a scary thing. And I think as Christians who are willing to, to have a voice and put themselves out there, maybe even more so than others, like to me, I see the need more and more um, strongly in that arena for, I see the need for mentorship and then the need for the body of Christ to be the body of Christ. So it's kind of an encouragement to myself and to, to young guys who like are going, well, I've got a strong voice. I I like to voice my opinion. I've got thoughts that I want need need to be shared. Well then also you have the need and I have the need even more so to submit ourselves to one another to hear the opinions coming from the other side, to have um, younger men and older men um, mentoring us and speaking into our lives, and then us needing to be, to be able to show the humility to respond to people who might challenge us or rebuke us or correct us, because that's, that's inevitable. So, you know, there's going to be those who are just kind of wild out there, throwing themselves out there, without correction, unable to be corrected. Um, and then if, if we're Christians, we have to kind of be able to look at ourselves and go, you know, am I willing to, to submit myself to those around me, my brothers and sisters in Christ, my spouse, when they speak into my life and say, like, I think you were, you were, that was uncalled for, or that, that didn't come across well, that wasn't loving. Yeah. And I've seen you, I've seen you on, uh, cause face, Facebook really is the public square nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen you say like, <laughs> I've seen you apologize and be like, Hey, sorry for that comment. That was unhelpful. 
Yeah. And, 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 it, the, and the reason being is it was a learning experience. Right. So when I was younger, um, you know, I had people do that to me in private, right? Because I was on Facebook since I was like, I don't know, 2007. When I was like probably like within the first year or two that it was uh-huh. like a public thing. And, and I had a friend privately, you know, rebuke me in a private message. And he did it so graciously that it, it was just almost a test, like the Holy Spirit going, how are you going to respond to this? Because this will set the precedent for the rest of your life. If you want to <laughs> be a public person, you want to write blogs, you want you want to podcast or make videos. Were you a pastor at the time? Um, kind of. I was okay. a. Uh, I did a once a month ministry, so kind of oh, okay. at a church. I was kind of in between, but I was still I was still in ministry, hmm. so um, I was still preaching periodically, um, and I was still leading a once a month youth and young adult outreach. So I'd say yes. Um, and so, so I, I apologized to him and said, thank you so much for loving me enough to pretty much to, to rebuke me and hold me accountable because I realized how difficult that was on his end. Like it's almost difficult to see someone putting themselves out there and being unloving. And most people would just like dismiss it or unfriend you or block you because they assume that you're not going to respond, right? Like you're like a rebel. Like this person's not going to hear me. Even if I try that dude's going down the wrong path, he's unloving, he's in sin. God, you deal with him. (laughs) But for us to take, take the willingness or take the step in boldness and in love and go to our brother and sister and pull them aside, Matthew 18, right? And say, Hey man, I love you enough to just say, I I get that you have something to say, but the way you said it, I think came across unloving. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's being received well. I think you're in error in the way that you're doing this. And and you might be surprised to find out that they actually respond to that kind of brotherly Christian love. And I think that's the risk we need to take on the other end uh, of loving maybe the person in error enough to, to speak out and to offer some correction. And that was in private. So then when you've seen me in public, I kind of took that lesson from long ago and said, you know what, if I'm going to publicly say something, I need to also be publicly held accountable. Yeah. So if I'm in error and someone corrects me in a public discourse, mm-hmm. then I should have the humility to publicly um, recognize my error right. and publicly well, apologize. And are, are we, what we're saying are we taking what we say publicly and bathing it in private prayer, right? Like mm. it, it's so easy right now with, yeah. with Facebook to see that post and immediately want to throw a comment. React. You know, we, can, we can do it right away. <laughs> uh, yeah, but, it's but, a reaction. But how, how much of that is really, uh, and this was a conversation that I had with my sister uh, last week, was like how, how much of that is how, how much better would our interactions on social media and that public forum be if we took two minutes and prayed over our response. That's so funny. Cause I had that conversation with your sister about <laughs> a week or two ago as well. Yeah. Really? <laughs> I did. So, Oh, this is so Dude. funny. I'm so glad you said that because, um, there was something going on. I can't remember what it is with me. It's any number of things. But I wrote a big, I hadn't read a blog post like that in a long time. Right. Cause I've been trying to build something. I've yeah, been trying yeah, to yeah. contribute positively um, and I had written, um, a pod or, or a blog pretty much. And I thought it was brilliant venting about what I, things I'd seen going on in the church 
and through and in this coronavirus season and and I sent it to a few friends. I sent it to Joel and Ryan who are on my podcast a lot and then I sent it to Joel and Hirsch <laughs> and Jacqueline. Okay. Because I know they're not afraid to share their opinion. And so I knew that these were people that I was going to get a response from. Yeah. And so I said, Hey, like I'm trying to learn from my past (laughs) grievances and mistakes and outbursts. And I'm trying to learn to take, to accept other people's input. And I value your opinion. What do you think about this piece? And do you think it's God honoring and true? And, and so I accepted this collective opinion, which is really hard when you're like a, a person who speaks out and you, you kind of like, like my gut reaction, well, just is that it's just to react right in the past. It's just, yeah. you see an error, you see a, something that grieves you and you just want to react and put your opinion out there because you think your opinion is that valuable. Well, learning from, from how it's received. I'm starting to go, you know what? I need to value the collective wisdom of people from varying different opinions and stances in my life. And so based on what I got collectively from these, these people, I just decided, you know what? I grieved through what I needed to. I, I vented to the Lord and then I asked for wisdom from, from friends and I decided not to post it. (laughs) And that was like a breakthrough. Yeah. Because I had, I had never done that before withheld something that I had put time and energy into to writing. Um, part of the fun of doing that is getting the reaction, but that's also yeah. twisted right. <laughs> <Yeah>. and that's <laughs> also twisted and it's also selfish. Yeah. Um, and it's not always considering um, the benefit of others. And, and like you were saying, like your point is building, what am I building? Mm-hmm. And I was willing, that was me just saying, I want to build something here rather than just, um, vent or tear down this idea or ideology or whatever. Right. Because what, what, what kingdom are we building? Ultimately, are we, are we building our own kingdom? Uh, if mm-hmm. I, if I go on to, to Facebook and just start tearing every post, a new one, you know, I just, yeah. I just want to go to war with the world and say that. I'm going to, I'm going to rip everything and everybody wants to know my opinion. First of all, nobody wants to know my opinion, yeah. <laughs> right? Like it went, when you go into that stuff, you're going to let them know that they want to know your opinion. My, impi- my opinion is important. I am here, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, I'm here. but when, but when you go, when you go too aggressively in that, then that's what you're talking about. That, that wisdom of an older man will, will say to the younger man who wants to charge into the battle. The, the older man says, Hey, I was in a battle like this once. I charged in and I got flanked. Yeah. Right? I, yeah. I, I got attacked from the side that I didn't expect because I didn't know it was happening. And, and so the, the older generation is then ready to prepare the new generation for a new kind of war because the enemy's always going to bring us a, a new flank. They're always going to come at us with a new trap, a new, a new strategy. Uh, and if we're not careful to listen to those, those criticisms of ourselves, we're going to run straight into the, mm. the battle of the enemy and, and, and they're going to, they're going to swallow us up. No. We're going to burn out. We're going to give up and, and, and walk away because we didn't heed wise counsel. Exactly. There's, and sometimes you will, will hear that counsel say, you know what, critique this and then put it out there mm. because I think you have something valuable to say there. Right now here's where I'll, uh, 
maybe push back. Tell me what y'all think. Yeah. Um, our generation prior to us didn't accomplish anything, uh, to put it bluntly. Um, they've left us, they've left America in shambles. I think that the church is plagued with effeminacy. And I think there's deeper um, idealistic and spiritual forces at play here that are causing us to, you know, even need to wrestle with this. Those things being um, me being a man, a Christian man in America, which is uh, plagued with effeminacy in the church, causes me to react in such a way that is unhealthy. So, for example, if if the effeminacy in the church causes the effeminate pastor to cower away from critiquing something. My natural reaction is to then go and say, okay, then the defining aspect, the defining pillar of masculinity is critique. But that's not the case. The case is that the refusal to critique is just a symptom of the effeminacy of the modern church. Right. It's not the essence. And so in a lot of ways we can we can yeah. react and be like hey hey uh, don't tell me to shut up because you you <laughs> rushed in and you got flanked well i'm going to rush in and get flanked and die like a man instead of stay back like a coward and and in many ways that's how men are supposed to think but it's because it, we kind of have uh misconstrued masculinity is not defined by critique it's defined by building and i know i keep saying that maybe i'm not clear on what i mean uh for the listeners but does that make sense? I don't, I don't think that everything we, everything the gener, the older generation says to us can be taken as gospel because they have messed up. The church is plagued with, uh, effeminacy and they're, and they're, uh, me, in many ways they're cowards in many ways they're postmodern in many ways they've messed up. And, uh, that's kind of where I stand. So, so what, yeah. so what, what's the fix then? Like if we're going to, we're going to throw that out there, there, there's our problem. Um, the, that that we've we've watered we've watered some things down um what it what is the fix because when you and even looking at that like i think before we, we even get there you know i go i'm always thinking on the on the defensive right like right. even when i'm podcasting and going okay how many let's just say you got somebody who was five years older than you listening yeah let's just say you got someone 10 years 20 years 30 years would probably be a miracle to get someone unless it's your grandma um, listening to your podcast, right? Um, because it's a hurdle, right? Like age yeah. is a hurdle. Um, and so for me, it's like, how many, how many gray haired people are listening to my podcast? I don't know. I guarantee you there's a lot more younger people listening to my podcast yeah. than older. That's true. So, so let's just say the older person tunes in and, and they hear you say, you know, like the last generation didn't accomplish anything <laughs> right away. I go, well, that needs, what do you mean by that? Right. You know, because that that needs to be clarified. Well, what I what I don't mean by it is that my generation <laughs> is any better. <laughs> okay, there we go, there we go. Because this is the problem of every generation, right? And we look we look throughout church history, and it's like every generation takes its. They survey the land, they survey the ocean, they take their course corrections, and they try to improve, or they try to correct, or they have the council, or or whatever, and but and yet how do we know what we know? It's because we've mm. read the books of old dead guys. 
or even the last generation, we've read some of their books or we've sat under their teaching or their counsel, and it may just be fewer and far between, right? you know, of the, of the men that we value their, their wisdom. But it's like every generation um, has those men who will stay the course and who whatever. And then the next generation comes along and probably with the help of that last generation um, gets the torch handed to them and says, keep helping, keep correcting, keep, keep the course or make it better, you know? And, uh, I just think that, you know, if I'm listening, I'm going to, okay. (laughs) Cause I get, I get what you're saying. Um, but at the same time, you know, like ideally you want the, you want the, you want the torch to be passed from generation to generation and progress to be made from generation to generation. What I'm saying is, um, we've been given a battle in the last generation, I think was caught off guard by the, uh, I mean, look at our culture today. The progression. We don't even know. Our culture doesn't even know what the difference between a man and a woman. Exactly. I I agree. I think they were caught off guard. I think they weren't uh, prepared for it. And I think that, uh, even me, I bet you, I, I have stuff in me that is affected by the uh, ideology of feminism, other stuff uh, that I need to get out. What I'm saying is uh, our, our generation, young men right now, are tending to react to the effeminist, the overwhelming effeminacy of the pulpit in, in, in the gray-haired pulpit by saying, since they were afraid to say that uh, this, this, that, and the other, that means my defining masculinity right now is to critique, is to tear down. Yeah. What I'm trying to, but what I think we need to say is my defining masculinity is to build up my household, is to build up my church, is to build, build, build. I don't need to be the, I don't need to be just on the other side, just whacking away with a bat yeah it's like like a firm instead of feeling like okay now we got to like overcorrect or even just correct right the the issues and the problems of the past generation because that would be a lifelong task and it's like are you going to waste or not i mean i mean waste for some people it's not a waste but are you going to spend your life doing that or are you going to spend your life teaching the truth and affirming the affirming the things that are true right yeah yeah building yeah exactly um, because I, I do, I, I've thought about this a lot when it comes to, you know, what, why are, why are these different generations so, so different when it comes to these things that you're talking about? Right. And, and regardless, we're always making progress. Yeah. Church history is a history of bugs and features. We're going to find bugs and we're going to find features. So we're going to find something that works. <laughs> the feature would be, uh, I don't know. Reform theology. <laughs> That's a feature. That's something that works. A bug would be, um, there's plenty of bugs in the church, but uh, pantsuits in the pulpit, women in the pulpit, that'd be a bug. So even if we're in a time period right now where we're only discovering bugs, we know that we're still making progress because we're figuring out, hey, these bugs don't work. Because if you're going to remodel a house and you find there's termites, you're going to have to redo the studs. Right, yeah. you're, you're gonna yeah. have to you're gonna have to redo something. 
Uh, and sometimes, you know, like when we were just moving my uh, grandparents out of their house, uh, we're, we're looking at their house and you start to look under the carpet and they've got like this beautiful hardwood floor <laughs> under this gross, ugly looking carpet. And it's like, so you have sometimes yeah, there's yeah. those generations that, that put down the ugly carpet and you go, what were you thinking that, that you covered that beautiful wood floor? Uh, sometimes you peel up that carpet and you find termites underneath. Sometimes you peel up and go, wow, there was a guy like Spurgeon in, in those, those previous generations that we can go, okay, we don't have to tear clear down to the foundation of the house to be able to, uh, do something with this. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, cause you get like, you get like the, uh, the, the guys like Rhett and Link now that are talking about the deconstructing faith. Yeah. I don't know if you've, yeah, you've seen I've that, listened to them those, talk yeah. those conversations. Yeah. It's like, and they, they talk about deconstructing their faith to the point where they're, they believe that they're free. They're free from the hypocrisy, the, from the legalism of Christianity. But what happens is that when you, tear yourself down when you tear down the house um you might be free in a certain sense but you're also now exposed to all of the elements right like you you you're, you're not even building on the same foundation you're like living in a in a different house exactly. <laughs> at this it, point it, there, there's no house left yeah and and, yeah. and you're 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 left to figure figure it out you have to go okay now i'm exposed to the the rain and the snow and the wind and i have nowhere to go because i deconstructed the whole house rather than turning out the carpet and said, this is an ugly carpet. I just took a bulldozer and, and yeah. went to the whole house. And so we, we don't want to do that, but we do want to step by step and, and go so, as far and as sometimes the you lead. do there. The problems are so rampant. You have to build down to the foundation, you know, in it to benefit the house and you go, I'm not building a new, I'm going to build, you know, something upon the same foundation, but we have to remove these rotten components right. and, and it's a lot of times it does, it feels like, like starting over and not talking about deconstructionism, <laughs> you right. know, yeah. but talking about holding on to the things that are, are worthy and true. And, and that's, um, that, that's kind of, of at the heart affirming. of the reformation there. Yeah, is exactly. That you have that's this, exactly. Yep. Uh, you have Martin Luther going, man, we done messed up guys. <laughs> like, uh, th this has gotten, virtually rotten to the core. Yeah. Uh, and we've got to, we've got to rebuild something. And so there was, there was marks of progress. And then, you know, if you don't, if you don't treat the wood, uh, it rots. And so we, we have yeah. elements where there was that great advances where we failed to treat the wood, where we failed to insulate the walls and problems seep in later. Uh, and we have to kind of go back and correct a little bit and then keep moving forward and they're not a, they're not addressed as they come up so i'm going running with this home analogy as a home inspector i knew i could get you in so so as a home inspector you know one of the things i try to convince people to do and it's almost always um it never happens is i i try to get i try to get people to take care of their problems as they come up right so I can never convince somebody that if they don't put a downspout extension at the end of their downspout to keep water six to eight feet away from the house, their, their foundation is going to fail to them. It's like, well, it's not, no, it's not. It's fine. It's been here forever. <laughs> well, fine. But five years from now or 10 years from now or 20 years from now, because you didn't correct that error in the way this, this design is supposed to be happening. The, the beneficial design, um, what we know about, home science and home building, 
you didn't do, you didn't make the correction that was necessary to protect the home. Your foundation is now it's failing. And, yeah. and I, but I couldn't convince you to be proactive and address it as it came up. You didn't see it as a pressing need um, because the, I don't know, you know, the, the crowds weren't in the street rioting <laughs> yet. Right. Um, we yeah. haven't had rain in six months. There's no reason to put a downspout. Exactly. Right? Exactly. But the, the $20 fix to get a, to get yeah. a downspout yeah. uh, doesn't seem necessary until five years down the road when you have a $10,000 foundation repair. 20, 30,000. Now you've got to get a loan and go into debt to fix something that could have been a you know, 20, run to the hardware store. 20 bucks to, to put a little <laughs> extension on there. And that's, that's, where we, that's where we end up being at is that we, we compromise and we say, okay, uh, this issue isn't that big a deal. Postmodernism in the church uh, isn't that big a deal. Gnosticism in the church isn't that big a deal um, because because it's still a kind of a minority. It's Ooh. it's still out there. Yeah. Uh, but as soon as then well, you, not, s- you sit down and you yeah. have a conversation with somebody in your own church. But a little leaven leavens the whole loaf. And didn't, didn't that happen with everything, which is why, right. you know, validates your point about um, what's the word effeminate? Effeminacy, effeminacy in the church, yeah. is something I've I've kind of observed just looking at past generations and why we're in this kind of place in the church. Um, we're being born and bred now to voice our opinions. This kind of brings right. it all together, right? We we think the beneficial thing, and I think we're making progress. And I, I think I think what's happening with social media is we're yet to see it come full circle to how we're going to benefit from this. But, but what I can see is talk it's in any counseling and resolving any issue, whether it's marriage or whether it's in the body of Christ or whatever, we have to talk about things and get them out on the table in order to address issues in order to correct a situation or repair a relationship. Like we have to talk about these things, but past generations, what I noticed, even looking at like, you know, my grandparents' generation and my parents' generation is a lot of these issues that now we're having to deal with, we're just, we're ignored in their generation. It was like, we don't, we don't talk about religion. We don't talk about politics. And then that led them to not, they didn't talk about any hot, any hot button issues. Mm -hmm. Um, I, I, it's like, you know, we could, we could have people in our families that are racist. We didn't talk about racism. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about that. We just kind of, we felt it, but we didn't really voice it or talk about it as an issue. Um, it could be, you know, we didn't talk about homosexuality. We didn't, we almost like didn't talk about anything that would make anybody uncomfortable. uncomfortable, Right. right? And that's where, that's where I can, like, I look back at the, the primary issue in my upbringing and and Sunday school education, if you will, um, was evolution. And, and we were, we were, we had that pounded down our throats as evolution. And here's all of the evidences against evolution. And you can, you can prove that creation is, is true. It, it supports the Bible. Science supports the Bible, all that. And, and that was like the, the singular focus. Um, and then all of a sudden you've got, uh, men who think they can become women. Uh, and the church goes, but what? we can, we, we can prove that there's a difference between microevolution and macroevolution. And, and all these kids are growing up going, I don't know what to, I don't know what to say to this. Like if we, if we say that two dudes can get married, um, I know that I didn't come from apes. Like 
th- those two don't those two don't connect. Yeah. I can't I can't make those connections. Right. It doesn't make sense uh, because I wasn't I wasn't properly trained to deal with all of the issues. We we picked one issue and, pre, and missed pre-YouTube, all the rest. There was no dialogue, right? So it was just like the church could just address it at their own comfort zone, uh, comfort level. And feel okay about it. Right. But now, if the answer isn't sufficient, I can go and find an opposing view or an answer that seems more intelligent. I can find a hundred of them online. And now <laughs> I think the church is really having to go. Yeah, it's being challenged. We have to address every uncomfortable conversation or question that comes up um, because they're not going away. They're going to go right. online and now they're available forever. Yeah. And, and that's so. when this whole topic becomes practical. You can't ignore, ignore the topic of limited government. And then all of a sudden act like it matters. Once, once uh, a black man is like strangled to death by a cop, L- limited government as an ideology, as a concept mattered before that happened, you're just seeing the practical symptoms of of what happens when you ignore it the the tumor the tumor's been there right underneath the the surface and now we're really starting to see the 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 symptoms come to the the surface they they show in flashes um here and there and then now we have it starts to to come to a head yeah and now now you have to deal with it um and and well, and our generation is now saying, you know, I say our generation, I'm kind of lumping you guys in with me, but the younger people, mm-hmm. um, so I don't think I'm old, um, is just saying who's going to address these things. Right. And it's almost, it, and, and what I'm looking for is who's willing to talk about these things. Yeah. Like who is willing to get uncomfortable because what people don't need is um, an exact solution that can be put into practice and is just gonna gonna fit they don't need a pill that's gonna fix fix everything they need a dialogue yeah right and i think past generations have have neglected to dialogue about pressing issues um right and that's that's a that's a symptom of the effeminacy the cowardice the cowardly response to the uncomfortableness that it would cause and then our, our temptation is to react and say, well, that's all we got to talk about. Right. Well, that's not all we got to talk about. We don't have to only talk about how a man, we, we don't only have to critique the homosexual movement and all that stuff like that. We can uh, build things I- instead of just only talking about that stuff. Like instead of, instead of just going on there and raging against drag queen story hour, when's the last time you pulled aside a young man in your church and said, Hey man, uh, there's this church, there's this verse in the Bible that says not to be effeminate, um, and I'm just gonna tell you as an as an older older fellow, uh, you kind of do this, this, that, and the other, and it makes me worry about you. And I, I want to, I mean, if you want, you can you can come with me, split wood, uh, whatever. You, I want you to hang out with me. I want you to learn how to, like, wh- when's the last time you built instead of critiqued? Yeah. And practically for me. Uh, I'm sure you guys could think of more ways, but like with my wife, you know that if you're, you know, you're a natural critiquer. If when you talk with your wife, like seriously, like when you guys have serious uh, conversations, which do you do more? Do you sit your, do you sit your wife down to say more to say, Hey, you know, you did this and I'm like really proud of you. I appreciate that. And are you sitting down with her more to build her up 
Or are you only sitting down with her to say, hey, you've been doing this and it's just got to stop. It's bothering me. <laughs> like you should have like a ratio of like 10 to 1. Say early on in marriage, I did a lot of the critiquing. Me too. And now I do a lot of the compliment. <laughs> he says, me, Jeremiah says, me, me too. Early on in our marriage, we, uh, I, I was definitely more of a critiquer. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. As, as your yeah. wife. Uh, so, six, six months in. So, <laughs> yeah, I knew, I, knew you, I knew you'd get a kick out of that. So, uh, with, with wife sitting because, right here in the studio. Because Jeremiah's like, wife is sitting right behind me. Um, no, but yeah, as early on, early on in our marriage, I was trying to make my wife, my mom, right. Cause, cause I like idolized my mom and I just was like, she's the sweetest woman. When I was sick, she'd bring me soup and crackers in bed. And, and then once in a while, Saturday morning, I'd smell pancakes and bacon and voila, what do you know? It ended up in my lap in bed. Thank you, mom. And that's not my wife. Right. And I can tell you after almost 10 years, uh, it ain't going to have her happen. That <laughs> breakfast in bed is not coming and I'm no longer waiting for it. Like, I get up and make myself some breakfast. And if I want it in bed, I'll take it back, to bed, <laughs> which never ha- which has never happened. But, but, uh, no, yeah, totally. And, and that's kind of like the growing, like the growing thing. Like you're just mentioning like the mentoring, like how often are we going to go up to another young man in the church and say, you know, what can I do for you? How can I bring you along? Um, what, what would you like to learn from me? Yeah. Like there's so many times I would love for, to learn from older people about, about finances and about investing and about their relationship with their parents. And I'd like, I'd love to learn about their, some of their regrets and advice they'd have to give me and, and, you know, I'd love, and it's kind of one of the things we go, if we're going to build something together, we kind of have to be bold and putting ourselves out there and making ourselves willing to, I don't know, build in, build into yeah. someone else's life. And, and there has to be phases to those things is if you're, if you're building a house, you want to do work first. But there's also time to get out of the hot sun and drink some lemonade, right? God gave us a Sabbath rest. He says, you need to rest. You need to worship. You need to step out of the battle and take a breather. Otherwise, you're going to burn yourself out. Uh, What you see too often is, is one side or the other is we're either thinking we always, always, always have to attack, always have to charge in, always have to, you know, kill the entire enemy in, in one fell swoop, or you have this other thing that says, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to fight. We're, we're supposed to be gracious and loving and, and, uh, easygoing Christians. And, and you miss both benefits. You, yeah, the, yeah. the, the rest becomes gluttony. And then the, uh, the war on the other side becomes, uh, you know, hardening callous. You, you get, uh, you get, um, rigid towards the world and, and, and you stop caring about it so that, that there's yeah. times to attack there's times to fortify there's times to retreat uh you have to be uh strategic in, in all of it and when you think yeah about about it in those terms that it's not bad to rest and you don't have to go to war with the world uh, all the time uh, and when you have the promise of the the kingdom that ends up that says in in the kingdom of God, 
the the swords will be, be beaten into plowshares, right? Yeah. But you don't want to beat the swords into plowshares too soon. Uh, because if you're in the middle of a battle, you don't want to be like, well, I'm going to go farming. <laughs> you know, uh, this looks like a good place to grow corn. You know, you don't, you don't want to stop there. Uh, and so there is an appropriate time, and there will come a time when those swords will be beaten into plowshares. Yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. a good uh, – I really wanted to say this earlier, but Jordan Peterson talks about how you can't be a good man if you're not capable of hurting anybody. Right. And – um how you talk about you don't want to beat your swords in too early you need you need to have that rest you need to you need to be balanced with it all um but you also when you're not critiquing you need to ask yourself am i not critiquing because i'm afraid am i not critiquing because i am giving in to the culture am i not critiquing because i'm worried what people will think about me or am i not critiquing because uh of good reasons it's non-beneficial. Right. Yeah, because it's not beneficial at this time and uh, whatnot. Uh, you, need to, you need to be capable of doing that in order for you not to do it, for it to mean something. Or else you're just probably being like some sort of dummy. <laughs> yeah. Should we give final statements on this yeah, one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we can all give our final thoughts. Um, that was really good. That, that probably would have been in my final statement. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think uh, it's all it's all a learning experience, right? And I think as we are, as Christians, as we're growing older and as we're maturing, um, our sword should be getting sharper, not duller. And we should be getting more skillful, um, not more clumsy when it comes to um, our speech, our wisdom, and then also how we present those things, right? So one of the reasons why, like, Jordan Peterson is so effective when he presents an idea is because he's skillful in speech, yet he's also got the balance of, like, humility with boldness. And, and his intention is to win somebody over to a better idea yes. rather than Just to tear, the other one tear someone apart. And so I think same thing, like as a Christian is to go, man, how can I address um, what we've been talking about just for this? We've been talking about this just as, as one example of many, yeah. but the effeminate, what's the word? Effeminate. Effeminate, you know, issues in the church and stuff. It's like, well, then how can I bring a better solution? Like do, and then instead of, and, and then instead of tearing something down, just been the topic of our conversation. Um, it's like, do I not have anything better to offer yeah. as a Christian um, from the word of God, from the spirit that dwells within me? Do I not have something better to offer than this thing that I'm critiquing? You know, mm -hmm. like we should be able to offer something better. So those are my final words. And I hope that I get better and better at, uh, at this sort of thing as I get older. <laughs> yeah, not yet arrived. No, and none of us are pr prior to prior to glory. But do, do you want to do, do give your last words? Sure. I mean, yeah. When when you think of all these things, you, you think in in battle, you need you need the the foot soldiers, you need the the colonels, and you need the generals. And uh, 
we think in our modern warfare, you have a general that sits back in an office, right? But in, in medieval warfare, the, as the, the New Testament writers would have thought, is that the general is the first one into the battle. And he's the one with the, he's the, one with the scars. Uh, he's the one who, who's seen all the strategies. And so uh, we need the young men who are ready to go full fray into the battle. Uh, we need the old men who know when to exercise caution. Um, and all of it has to be with the bigger mission in, in mind. We can't think too long about um, fixing one specific problem uh, here in front of us. Like I said earlier, the, the evolution or, um, you know, that, that's, that's the one that comes to mind or, or the, the LGBT movement um but if we if we look bigger and we say this is this is we're in this for the long haul um that's how that's how you build things uh you you glean wisdom from saying i'm here now but i'm looking to a bigger better future uh that's more glorious uh than where i'm at and i hope that where i'm at would be viewed by by my forefathers as more glorious than what they were experiencing. Mm. There's so much more to be said, but my last words are as a man, also as a woman, you have a, a hammer and a sword. And what you want is for your sword to be shiny and sharp and your hammer to be well used and, and beaten down but you don't ever want to let your short your sword uh be unused the more you the more you unsheath your sword the duller it's going to get it's going to lose its shine it's going to lose its uh power so you you don't want to brandish it too much but you also don't ever want to not use it or else what's the point of having it you might as well sell it but you, but you have a hammer to build stuff. You have a hammer to build stuff. You have a sword to take down enemies. And you want to have a hammer that's beaten down, broken, and have a, a big house to, to show for it. And you want to have a, a sword that's shiny, maybe has a few spots of blood on it, to show that you've used it. But you don't want to keep brandishing that sword. It's going to get dull. And that's my, uh, that's my metaphor for this all. 